legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is John Waters, who joins us to discuss science, spirituality, and the coronavirus crisis, amongst many other things. In a wide-ranging conversation, we move from mainstream media manipulation to meaning and purpose in life, faith, and the existence of a higher power, the meaning of freedom and our growing obsession with so-called safety, science as a new religion, and the spiritual battle and assault on human consciousness which now threatens our survival. Something very dark is unfolding at this time which cannot simply be explained away in the name of a public health emergency. Hello and welcome, John, and thank you so much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Uh, pleasure, Greg. Uh, nice to be with you. Um, today, John, we're going to be talking about, well, about a lot of the events of the last year and a half, people might be a little bit jaded with all that now, but your recent writings around this area have been extremely thought-provoking and a lot of a lot of value there for readers. But before we dive into that, uh, for people who don't know, just give us a quick potted bio of your your you know your career and uh, what you do. Well, I, I'm kind of a, kind of I'm kind of a former journalist. I'm still a writer, and uh, I write articles and essays, but I I, I kind of. I don't want to be called a journalist anymore, you know. Um, I'm, I, I regard journalism as a kind of a completely corrupted and, uh, you know, morally defective uh, activity uh, at this stage. So, but I started off as a music journalist, rock and roll, with a music a magazine called Hot Press, in which was in Dublin. Um, and uh, I moved from there to various other alternative mags, which were kind of, you know, beginning to pop up in the late 70s and early 80s. And I was an editor of a couple of those for a while during the 80s. And then I kind of moved into the mainstream uh, and I ended up in the Irish Times as a columnist uh, for something like 20-odd years. I can't remember exactly. I started in 1991 and went on to 2014, whatever that is, uh, 20, 23, 24 years. And uh, uh, so since then I've been kind of... Uh, I've written several books. I've written ten books, actually, and uh, uh, I'm about mainly about Ireland, mainly about uh, you know aspects of Ireland, but also aspects of uh, the what you might call spirit spiritual. Now, spirituality is the wrong word. It's 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 and religion is the wrong word, and faith is the wrong word. But it's something about the transcendent dimension of human beings, including myself. I've written a couple of books about my own journey, as it were, I hate that word too, uh, uh, but uh, my own experience in that area and trying to kind of extrapolate from that, because fundamentally I think that has been the spine of our civilization for uh, 2,000 years, and uh, we're in serious danger of losing it, and we should start to really think about it, not just from the, the, the societal 
point of view, but from the personal point of view. And uh, so I've been kind of out on the out on the the, the fringes now for the last uh, six seven years. And uh, right, I've written for First Things. I've written for the Spectator. Uh, I've um, published a couple more books. And uh, uh, now, in the last uh, sort of eighteen months, I guess you say, uh, uh, I've been fixated. I would say on what's actually happening because I think actually this is it. this is it now. You know, this is the whole point of everything, and uh, this is why we were. Uh, put here as it were and this is why I was a journalist and this is why I was writing for all those years that, that this is the culmination of everything in fact it may very well be the end of the world for all I know Yeah it's funny how the more you work with words the more you realise that the limitations of words uh, that way of expre- yeah. expressing because you, you were expressing your slight dissatisfaction with a couple of word choices there but you know what else have we got I know a lot of people really dislike the term spirituality as well, especially when you talk about it as, you know, spiritual but not religious, you know, that cliche. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you kind of short-circuit people's understanding by using words like that. They trip, you know, and and, and it's very annoying because uh, I don't mean, you know, because also, you know, spirituality can mean like, I don't know, incense and, and crystals, you know, and, and that's not what I mean either. I mean, I mean, fundamentally, the kind of raw, real and, and very practical uh, dimension of the human being that is connected to the infinite and the absolute, that is kind of on, on you know, has come here from God knows where and is going God knows where. And that that is, whether that's true or not, as it were, factually, that that defines this journey because there is no other possible way of handling this journey other than to have those two, des- you know, beginnings, origins, and destination in mind all the time, and uh, you know, at some level in the, in the imagination. That's what I mean, and so that's why I find interest, uh, religion uh, interesting, and, and Catholicism, Christianity in particular, uh, I think has been very important in that way. Although, of course, there's many, many aspects of it that, that are, are very disquieting and, 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 you know, indefensible in some respects. Uh, but there you go. Lots of things are like that. Well, we'll come back to, um, for want of a better word, spirituality again shortly. But your your journey, again, <laughs> with these words that we don't like using, uh, was interesting to me um, because I didn't, you mentioned Hot Press, the magazine, Mm. Uh, mostly music, but I think there was some politics in it as well. I, I wasn't actually a reader of it. I, I read sounds instead because that was easier to get. Uh, this is basically, yeah. you know, sort of like mid eighties onward. And I got my starts in journalism with music as well. So I mean, I started I started a fanzine in nineteen eighty seven, and then got p- my first published piece from Money, actual cash money. Uh, they sent me a check. I seem to remember was in nineteen ninety, and I got out of it slowly, gradually sort of untangled myself from it. Uh, probably the, the last thing I wrote about music was probably four or five years ago. It wasn't because I felt the whole thing had been come corrupted somehow. Otherwise, I saw plenty of that at various you know levels, more sort of low-level brown envelope stuff. But I, I just couldn't make a living at it anymore. You know, the music business had changed so much that, you know, the, the mechanical business of it is actually selling albums and, and whatnot, and younger people not buying magazines, you know, and I, it just became untenable. So I just had sort of, I, th- I thought I was just going to get out of this altogether. And I, I haven't regretted it, to be honest. Yeah, and, and and the journalism of music journalism had changed profoundly as well. I mean, I, I know certainly over the span of my uh, life in, in that, that area, 
uh, in the what I was when it was the thing I was doing, you know, there was the enemy and there was you know there was people like Ian Pinman and Paul Morley and like, you know, they weren't everybody's taste, but they were pretty interesting kind of guys. And then it became more kind of formulaic and and you know, uh, perfunctory and 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 uh, just you know the facts, ma'am, you know, and mm. and uh, it was kind of. Uh, I think, well, that's true of a lot of journalism as well. I mean, I, I think that, uh, uh, like, journalism in general became uneconomic too in general in, in recent times. I mean, I've been astonished um, since I went back into what you might call the freelance market uh, to do the odd article for, for magazines, how little they pay. It's quite remarkable. It's astonishing, actually. Like, they, they just they just kind of, especially if you're just doing it for their websites, you know, you, they just give you, like, a total pittance for an article that might take you several days to write, you know, and mm. that's just to be the way it is, you know. So it's it's become journalism. It's finished, really, and and you might actually add to that in general. Now I don't mean in this particular context, but you might add in general and a good thing too, because it's so terrible now and and has become so corrupted. I mean, it's the behaviour of journalism in this present uh, scandemic situation is just beyond belief, and, and you know you kind of think, well, what's what are they doing? What like I, I'd love to. Well, I wouldn't love to, but I, I, I'd be interested in in meeting some of my old colleagues in some kind of neutral situation and and just get like take a half an hour to ask them like some very basic questions. Like, did you not mean any of the things you said? Mm. Did you not believe in anything? Did you not believe in freedom at all? Why are you silent? Why are you still a journalist if you can't? Why are you still churning out rubbish every day? You know. Uh, when you see what's happening, you must see. Are you blind? You know that that kind of thing. I, I, that's so. I don't know. I, I I don't want to be sanctimonious about it. I suppose it does sound sanctimonious to a journalist, but uh, um, I, I I've never seen anything like this. I couldn't have imagined this happening. That that essentially the entire journalistic profession would hand over its authority to governments. And 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 allow government to use it as a conduit of propaganda, which is to say lies. Well, we see what happens. It's it, you know, it's not one hundred percent of mainstream journalists. It's, it can be a bit difficult to say what is mainstream these days. I mean, you, you can look at audience figures or whatever, uh, or sales, but there's a lot of you know, where does the mainstream end and something else begin? Because you can look at a lot of papers. Uh, just to use an example of newspapers, print that would have been you know, would have sold millions in the 80s and it's amazing how some of these news organizations have mm. shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and they're still you know they're still acting like that they have the world's ear you know but in many cases they really don't no they don't no they don't they're they're, they're pretty i mean that, that is true you know virtually nobody reads some you know a lot of the stuff in newspapers now they look at the headlines the the, the type underneath is just to fill the space um you know i i, I mean i i've actually i wrote a, a, a an article there some months ago about the kind of future of the industry, you know, and I suggested that actually that we should scrap the newspaper and replace it with the newspaper, which is like because newspapers are actually such useful things around the house, you know, uh, for uh, you know defrosting your fridge, you can put it on the floor; it soaks up the the, the water as it as the ice melts. Uh, if you want to clear out your ashes in the morning from your wood burning stove, you know, if you want to clean windows, a newspaper is really good for it. Actually, it'd be much better for it if there wasn't any print on it. And then it occurred to me that actually, imagine if you 
could actually have a full newspaper every day if you've got kids uh, like and nothing on it but the masthead like the New York Times or the Irish Times or the Guardian nothing else blank and give it to your kids on a rainy day they they would just stay quiet drawing pictures on the on the on the newspaper so I actually think that you could actually rescue the newspaper industry by just getting rid of the articles uh, and and uh, uh, I think that would be a really major improvement. Well, we saw the dash for toilet paper during the uh, the early days of the of the pandemic, didn't we? You know, so and that's exactly right, Greg. I mean, you know, it's amazing actually because you know that occurred to me as well. You know, I mean, it's a little bit crude, obviously, but like, you know, when we were kids, like that's what people used to do. Like, you just cut up the local paper and put a hole in the corner, or little squares, and then cut up, put a hole and hang it on the on, on the the lavatory wall. You know, uh, so let's go back to that. I mean, it's, maybe we're going to have to anyway if they. When they've when they've completely nuked the world, we probably will. You know, I mean, they've they've just tanked the whole thing now. You know, and and uh, that's kind of where we're going anyway, whether we like it or not. Well, if they stopped having print on the paper, then you could actually use it for wrapping up fish and chips again, couldn't you? Because I always thought it tainted the, the food. I know they'd put greaseproof paper inside as well, but you know. Yeah, but... see, I'm kind of. I know this sounds ironic and, and uh, like a joke, but I actually think it would be an amazing thing if you could go into a newspaper and buy like 16 pages, huge pages, of blank paper for I don't know two quid. You'd buy it. <laughs> you'd buy it every few days. You know, you definitely would. It's very useful in all kinds of ways. Uh, oh yeah. No, we spoke about spirituality or should we how i often characterize it is just you said transcendent and you might have used the word dimension and that's a very it's a very good phrase um and clearly i think increasing numbers of people are seeking access to something like that or or are are beginning to dwell on it's beginning to dawn within their consciousness that this is something that is part of of being human and in your i think this is from your book, Lapsed Agnostic, uh, you talk about your journey from belief to unbelief and back again. And yeah. is, is, is that how you would characterize that sort of, that, uh, that arc, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, 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 I mean, the, the thing in the middle, the kind of, the, 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 uh, the moment of understanding, which is a very elongated moment of comprehension, was my battle with drink, my battle with alcohol, you know, uh, like, uh, I became an alcoholic and, and I ended up going into AA through various circumstances. And, and like I, at that point, I wouldn't have ever called myself an atheist. I was too lazy to be an atheist. I think, you know, I was, but I definitely would have been an agnostic, you know, and so that's why I call left agnostic. But, um, uh, I, I kind of thought when I went into AA that it was, I couldn't really get, what the God thing was about, because they have this concept of God as, as we understand him, which is basically saying that, you know, you need to have a higher power in your life, and whatever way you can imagine that, then that's fine, for the beginning anyway. And uh, so, uh, I couldn't really get my head around this, what, how does this come into it, you know what I mean? I didn't really understand that, and it took me quite a while to grasp that actually this is about the structure of the human, and addiction, alcoholism, is about the structure of the human also that actually when you kind of latch on to one thing in reality, in human reality, you kind of do short circuit your whole being. You know, that, that we are born, we come in here, it seems, primed with a kind of a, an infinite desire, and desire for something infinite, something that can't be found, something, you know, 
you can call it God if you want to, or you can call it the moon if you want, or whatever, you, but it's something beyond ourselves. And in some way that defines us, that, that kind of, it, it kind of is like our, 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 you know, where we get the, the power from, you know, and, uh, if you, if you think that's not true, or if you decide, well, I'm not going to live to that logic, then things start to go wrong and you start short circuit. And that's where alcoholism and addictions of various kind come in. Uh, because you actually essentially try to replace that remote source of your existence with your, with something within yourself, which isn't possible. And, uh, so that's what I actually, I think addiction is and, and, and alcoholism is. And then you, what you actually have to do in order to make yourself better is actually restore that remote sense source of your being and your power. And, uh, that's the, that's essentially, in a nutshell, what what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous does, and actually that is what religion does, and has done for you know eons. And so I started to kind of start rethinking all this stuff uh, from there. And then it's you know they say in AA, which I didn't really believe when I said it first, that you know you will end up in the religion of your of origin, your where you started essentially. I said yeah right, but actually I did. For a while, you know, and I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I kind of come and go in my head from all that, from the Catholic thing, because I go through good, you know, as it, as I go through good and bad periods with it, it goes through bad and good periods of, of, of its own volition. And it's certainly going through a bad one now, so I'm kind of pulling a little bit back from it. Uh, because, but there was, there were, there have been good, rich periods. I think the period of, of, uh, uh, Pope Benedict XVI was an extraordinarily rich period in, in, in the church because he had such a profound grasp of the world and what's wrong with it and how the problems of the world relate to the problem of that that you know loss of of god in in, in the imagination of man and so that those are the kind of things that i'm interested in you know obviously there's a there's a kind of a an observance and a, you know you know prayer element to all that as well obviously i'm not just i i do believe in in something i call in someone i call god uh but it's not you know I, i'm not a i'm not a holy joe i'm not a kind of a i'm not interested in a kind of a recreational christianity there's a lot of that around you know where people are trying to see it as an identity as a, you know there's a way of, of of sort of exhibiting themselves in the world this is me and I believe in this, and this is, I know all these prayers off by heart, and I believe in these prophecies, and I believe in these miracles, and so on and so forth. I, I'm not really like that. I, I mean, they everybody assumes because I talk about it, that I am like that, and I'm like, going to be like them. And, and it leads to a lot of misunderstanding, and I try not to get into arguments with people about it. But to me, it's actually about the imagination. It's about the imagination of man, and 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 I think that's you actually look to the the larger frame of society of civilization. You see that that it is religion, uh, it is uh, God that has en enlarged the imagination of mankind to create massive civilizations, which have been hugely successful in lots of ways. So, I'm interested in all that, and that's kind of my main focus. Uh, although I do have a kind of you know, obviously I have a, a religious life myself. I do have a prayer life and. You know, that's kind of whatever it is, and and uh, uh, but I, I'm not gospel greedy in that sense. I mean, I'm, I know I, the, I was steeped in the gospels growing up because we were all the time in the church, and I know all the stories almost by heart. So uh, uh, that's kind of roughly where I am, and and uh, I come and go. You know, I mean, sometimes I mean I find it very hard to hang on 
because it's very hard to believe in God in the in the modern world for reasons that Pope Benedict spoke about in an amazing speech he gave in the in the Bundestag in 2011, where he talked about man had been built a bunker to live in so he could shut out the mystery, shut out God. In other words, that he wanted a world that he could completely control and understand and didn't need anything else or any other reference point and that there was no nothing mysterious to him. So I, I'm interested in all of these things and I, I try to, to talk about these things. But unfortunately, you see, everything, everything kind of, that when you speak about Catholicism, then people assume one thing, that you're an apologist for the church as it is or that you kind of, you know, believe in mad stuff. I mean, I get, I used to get all kinds of stories telling, asking me, oh, well, you know, uh, well, on the one hand, there's evolution and there's, on the other hand, you know, where I'm doing it, we're doing a project. I'm doing an essay about, you know, the two different forms of belief. I'm, I've been talking to people who believe in the evolution and you obviously don't believe in that. So you believe in something else. Can you explain what you believe in? Like, and I say, well, I kind of do believe in evolution, uh, but it's in a slightly different way. Uh, it's a much more complicated than what these guys believe in. But I, it's not that I, I have any kind of, you know, like they, they kind of think that you, that you're, you know, a creationist means something other than being an evolutionist, but it actually doesn't. Uh, because, uh, you know, to, to, to think that it does would make God a very stupid person, you know? And, and, uh, so, you know, I'm kind of interested in all that stuff, but the, the level of discourse about this in public society now or indeed anywhere, uh, pretty much in the public realm, it's not all that interesting. A Christian colleague of mine recently, we'd been having a conversation about um, political correctness and Jordan Peterson, and, and he sent me a video that he was quite impressed by, and it was, this is Jordan, Jordan Peterson post his, um, his sojourn in, in Russia, you know, and his illness, and he said, yeah. to, he said to me, this colleague, he said, I think Jordan Peterson is a, a person who's on a journey of faith. I thought, well, that's interesting. So I checked out the video, and... Um, I've not watched it all yet because it's a long one, but Peterson did seem to be beginning to contemplate the possibility that there was, that there was, that, you know, talking about this transcendent dimension we're talking about, he did seem to be approaching that and he certainly got very, began to get very emotional. His voice was cracking up. You know, he's not quite, he's probably 90% of himself after what happened to him. The reason I bring this up was because I thought it was interesting that this was happening to someone, or appears to be happening to someone like him. But uh, around about that time, when I got the video, I then read your piece uh, when you were speaking about uh, Peterson's somewhat odd lack of commentary on the the COVID situation. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. I've been calling, I have been monitoring that, and I've seen, I think, that interview and, and and a couple of other places where he talked to people about this over the years. And I, I've always had this feeling that he was kind of that he's, he he he. He's kind of trapped in a kind of a rational kind of mindset, you know. And, you know, I think it is possible to make a journey into faith through reason. In fact, I think it's essential. But it's not the only part of it. You know, you also need to make that leap of uh, faith. And that you kind of, what you were saying earlier, that you kind of need to accept that actually language is a very limited instrument to under, for understanding these kind of concepts. And that actually you kind of need to kind of have a, a kind of a wordless understanding of these things. And that kind of, for me, is somewhere to that, where, where faith is actually is more, you know, in that kind of wordless sense of certainty. 
which isn't kind of that a kind of a, uh, a fist-clenching kind of uh, faith, belief, a determination to believe in spite of everything. But it's a kind of a sense of ease based on something like the idea that you can't actually sit here in the middle of everything and really seriously believe in nothing. That that's kind of my fundamental thing, you know. That that it's not reasonable uh, to actually be in the middle of everything uh, and and to believe in nothing. I had that conversation with my daughter years ago when she was a little girl, you know, and she got, you know, and, and like, what if there's nothing, Dad? You know, what if there's nothing? Because somebody she'd heard this, and and I said, well, here we are, and you know, you're in the middle of Spain, you're in the middle of the world. Like you at the time, she was, I forget, maybe twelve, and I said, you know, thirteen years ago, you didn't exist. As far as we know, and, and certainly not in this dimension, and 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 now here you are, and there's there's nothing but things and sounds and colours and noises and and reality and life. What kind of thinking is it that would lead you to believe that this can only happen once uh, for a short time? Uh, you know, the Mediterranean is there. You know, did you imagine that when 13 years ago, wherever you were? Can you, how then can you expect to imagine where you will be in 130 years time? Like, so that's my kind of sense of what this is all about. It's about imagination more than it's about anything else. I don't even like the word faith, I have to say, you know, because it suggests a kind of a clinging on to something implausible. I think there's lots of evidence that God must exist. This person, I mean, God is a very loose word and, and, uh, ambiguous word and all that but you know the thing that we would call god it must exist for all these reasons and for others uh you know like a uh, uh, like somebody uh, people colleagues often say to me you know well you know come on you're an intelligent guy and, and uh, you must you know it, you know you understand stuff and you know how can you possibly say that you believe that the son of god came to earth and stayed here for 33 years and, you know, died on the cross and then came back. And I said, well, sure, I mean, that's, that's pretty implausible. I agree. I mean, I don't disagree with that. But it's not nearly as implausible as the fact that right here now, today, on whatever it is, 31st of July, 2021, I, a 66-year-old person, being called John Waters, is actually here looking out on this world. I mean, I didn't do that. I couldn't do that. I didn't make that happen. Something made that happen. And that something is what I'm interested in. Not just because it's me, but because it's everything. And and I, I just think this is such a basic alternative way of seeing the whole concept of the transcendent. What I'm saying is really that, as going back to Benedict and, and his bunker, that that bunker is actually the core thing we need to focus on because that's what's blocking out our sense, our imaginative understanding of reality in its totality. Well, I think fundamentalist materialism, as in, you know, the view of the world that five senses, that, that that's all there is. If you know, it can't be detected by those, it doesn't exist, even though cats and dogs can t detect more light and sound than we can. And yeah. that there's this 3D world is all there is. And, you know, either side of your birth and death is a black void of nothingness. That worldview, and this is not meant to be anti-science, it's anti-scientism. That's what's brought us, I think, to where we are now. That's what's brought us to this state. And, of course, not all peoples of the world 
have, have the same worldview. A lot of indigenous communities still have a, a very, very different uh, view of creation. But it's that excessive materialism that has brought us in, into this mess. And, and what are you know what are people looking for? And you pointed this out in your recent writings. You know, people have been have been looking for meaning, whether they realised it or not. Even in denying meaning, you know, and, and you, we've spoken about addiction. You know, for that in many ways, that's, that's a way of hiding from what you're here for, you know, just covering it up, uh, just blocking it out. And um, unfortunately, yes. uh, unfortunately, now we see the, this manifestation of a of a, a, a craving for meaning bubbling up in in current affairs. And it's been a lot of it is now being transferred over onto the, the or the pandemic response, which is you know a very unfortunate turn of events. You know, maybe something good can come out of that. Ultimately, I don't know. I, I don't think so because it's it's actually the wrong way around. You know, it's actually a fear of death. Mm. I mean, it's it's a more enhanced fear of death. Uh, like what we need to do is actually you know make death invisible. And sorry, I don't mean in the way in the world. I mean that that's not the point. But that we kind of you know disregard this whole thing of the the finality of death. I mean, even that's a hard thing to do, of course, and and it's almost impossible in the culture now. But that kind of what what I mean is that that's what we need to do. Uh, that 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 you know, and that was really true. I think of, of when people had what people now call it patronizingly call a simple faith, a simple belief. People did actually see that that kind of thing as like it just you know it's just a, a a curtain you walk through, you know, and then you just continued. And uh, I I think we need to get back to that somehow or other. The great problem, I mean, I'm going back to Peterson, and I can see what he's engaged in imaginatively, and and it's very interesting. And although. I, there's a there's a block I think personally with him. I'd love to talk to him about this, but you know we're we're we we live in a world that uh, makes faith impossible. It's impl- that's the real problem. And and there and yet what he says is absolutely true. That in order to function fully as human beings, we need to act as if God exists. But the the, the paradox is to see can you really act as if that's what he says he does. But I ask this question: Can you actually act as if God exists if you don't? If you're not reasonably certain that he does. See, I don't think you can. Like, in some ways, you can act out ritual, and of course, some societies are much better at that than we have been. We kind of abandon the ritualistic aspects of it. Like, Spain is better, for example, at that. If you're in Spain, particularly in Andalusia, or those kind of more old-fashioned places, at the very feast days, like, there are massive processions through the villages and so on, and it's quite beautiful. Uh, we don't do that anymore in Ireland. You know, it's almost gone. Corpus Christi and all that is it's barely recognised now in most of the towns in Ireland. Uh, but so the question is, can can you actually um, fake it, fake belief? That's the thing that I, I've written about recently in AA. You see, that's that's kind of what AA encourages you to do when you go in and you're an atheist or an agnostic. It encourages you to to, to imagine God, to fake it till you make it, fake belief until you make it. And and even if you can't, then to continue to sort of regard something else as the source of your being or of your power, whether it's a dead relative or something like that. Uh, and the idea is that fundamentally, there was a guy, there was a book written about AA in the very early stages, which is a very intriguing title, uh, which kind of captures this. It was a guy, a German guy called Kirst. It was a kind of a, a biography of AA, and it was called Not God. And the important, that, that what it was saying was that in AA, the first and foremost lesson that you need to learn to get sober 
is that you are not God. That there is something else beyond you that is greater than you. Because, of course, this is the the, the, the pathology of the the addict. You know, it's the kind of... Um, they call it like the... the, uh, the uh, the egomaniac with an inferiority complex, you know. Uh, it's, it's, uh, so there's all of those things going on. So when Peterson, I'm interested in what he's doing, but, and I saw those things, but I, I, I think the emotionalism is misleading because he, he, he's quite fragile, yes, you know, and he breaks down very easily. I'm not in any way disparaging that, you know, I do that sometimes myself, uh, and it's not a bad thing necessarily, but it, I can see that he's very fragile. But I, 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 I would be very interested in actually talking to him because he kind of gets lost in some, he talks to theologians and stuff, and that's a big mistake because they're talking mm. about things that are so involuted, that they're not real. And it's misleading him into thinking you can construct a faith with words and images and ideas. Uh, not really, you know, it, it's got to be rooted in, in your imagination about how this world, you've got to look at the world and not, you cannot see randomness, and I can't see randomness in the world. You know, the, the, I don't believe, I cannot believe that, that, that uh, it's possible. Everywhere you look, there is uh, uh, patterns, um, repeating yeah. patterns, you know, like you look up uh, fractals in nature, for example, uh, you could go to the the structure of the brain compared to the structure of the galaxy. There's umpteen examples bobbing around in popular science, and everywhere you look, I see... I see order and chaos, but I see natural teleology. You know, it's like there's a, a striving towards what I don't know, but there appears to be something's going on. That's, that's the best word I can think of is striving in ourselves, right down yeah. to right down to amoeba. There's some kind of movement, you know, forward movement. Well, that's right, and and you know, very often this whole idea that there's some kind of divide between science and religion is that's completely it's completely bogus. Uh, because, you know, science, modern science grew out of Christianity, first of all. And, and secondly, you know, when they do that, what they do is they only show you or allow you to see or hear from a select group of scientists. There are scientists out there who can actually bring religion and, 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 uh, and science together very well. Somebody like Rupert Sheldrake, for example. Uh, 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 you know, and, and, but you don't hear much of their kind of marginal figures, you know, and they're kind of regarded as some sort of eccentric, but, but Childrick is a brilliant scientist, apart from the fact that he actually understands, he, he believes in, in the transcendent idea and lots of related concepts. And uh, uh, so this is all, of course, a de- a part of the dumbing down of society, which we can see with, with kind of to an extraordinary extent now in the last six, 18 months. You know, that young people in particular, they're, they're actually really dumbed down. And I don't think it's coincidental that they're the first generation in, in a long time in the West, in Western Hemisphere, really, in pretty, and I know in Ireland, looking at them very microscopically, that have had no religious training in any way, sense or form, you know. It's, they just don't have any religious imagination whatsoever, any transcendent imagination. They sneer at it, and that they think that makes them clever. They think that makes them cleverer than Rupert Sheldrake, you know, <laughs> which is absurd. I recommend to listeners they check out Rupert's book Science and Spiritual Practices, where he brings these worlds together, you know, through the lens of his own life. And I also did an interview with him around that. So if they want a quick version, they could they could check that out. Well, speaking of someone who is not religious, 
uh, one of the things that's really struck me, I was reminded of it in your comments about young people and, and religious training, is the churches in, in general, I can't speak for every church all around the world, but certainly thinking about the UK and Ireland, the response of the church, or lack of response uh, to the church from the the pandemic situation and lockdown, it just, you know, this strange silence, you know, maybe you you can throw a bit of light on the situation in Ireland, but certainly uh, here in England, with the Church of England, it's been, uh, you know, just um, nothing but perfunctory things to say about it, really. Just, you know, the usual, oh, yeah, no surprises, no uh, inspiration, nothing really to assist, uh, you know, a congregation in, in navigating these tumultuous times. And, of course, we saw closed doors as well. You know, for some people, the, the pandemic situation was so extreme that it pushed them to do something they maybe hadn't done for a very long time, which is go to a church to seek something, you know, just as a space to be. And in many cases are met with closed doors. So it's all been, you know, when the church is required to step up, they seem to have stepped down. Yeah, it's been a cost, a very extraordinary thing, and I, I can't say I, I can't say that I, I understand it completely. I mean, I was astonished by it because I started encountering it fairly on in 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 communications with certain priests that I knew and people like that, and 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 watching and hearing stories, and then even you know as recently as yesterday, uh, you know, uh, a woman told me. Uh, but in a, in a, where she rang a priest looking for confession, she had been a recent convert back to Catholicism, and and he basically bawled her out of it. You know, he said that she could take her, she could do her own confession. She, he told her, which is completely news to me. Uh, you know, uh, because of the pandemic, it seems. You know, but uh, the the first inclination I had, inclination I had was that you know, like a priest I knew in America and, and who was a very, really fundamentalist kind of guy and, and, you know, what other people would call a traditionalist and, and right-wing and, you know, all that, uh, basically was hiding away. And, and and when I kind of said, this is a bit of a scam, and he was really outraged at the idea and that, that there would be any expectation that he would actually have to go out and do sick calls, like it was like anathema to him, and he was just not doing it. And that kind of was borne out then when you saw the way the church was behaving, closing its churches like in no argument, no discussion, uh, no masses, no Eucharist, no nothing. Uh, and, and, and not alone that, but then they allowed people, thousands of people to die alone without the sacraments. Like this is shameful to carry on. And, and I mean, one of the things that seems clear is that they took absolutely literally from word go. You see, this is an amazing thing to me that a church which is there to kind of challenge the world, which is, you know, supposed to be, you know, under the leadership of Satan, right? This is the world. And, and they go by the logic of the world all the time. You know, they, 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 they just, they watch TV to find out what's true. Well, you know, I, I, I just find this fantastic. You're supposed to, like, part of what you do as a priest, for example, is that you, 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 you're a leader of the flock, therefore you have to think through everything. And you think about, you know, and, and you must think the unthinkable. But they weren't thinking anything, least of all the unthinkable. Uh, so, 
I, I just find this absolutely mind-boggling. And now we see in Ireland, certainly, and I think maybe less so in Britain, actually. Interesting, I saw a thing where there was something like 1,200 bishops came out or prelates came out recently against the vaccination mandates and all that. But in Ireland, the, the priests are essentially urging their uh, congregations to take the vaccine. Which is again preposterous, and and it's always it's all based on this predicated on this extraordinary idea that there's a massive pandemic going on, when in fact there is zero evidence for any pandemic other than what's on the news. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com. <laughs>